0: Hey, good morning again. My name is Tad Anderson. I'm the, one of the pastors here, the lead teaching pastor of the Hub City Church, and, and on behalf of our church, we're so glad you're here to worship Jesus with us. Man, that was, uh, that was some good worship this morning. I, I almost forgot that this is a Baptist church for a minute. I like that. I like the clapping, and it's just like, man, that was a great uh, worship set, so I really enjoyed that this morning, but a few announcements uh, I got to stay on my notes. That was not in there. I shouldn't have said that. Anyway, all right. <laughs> um, a few announcements real quick. First of all, I just want to celebrate uh, our, our family business meeting last Sunday uh, afternoon. Man, we had like uh, upwards of 50 adults, it turned out. So man, thanks to all who made that a priority. Uh, we, we went over and covered our five-year goals, progress that we're making, as well as our, uh, our year-to-date budget. And by God's grace, uh, we're doing really well. God is so so kind to us. And so um, just uh, real quick, if you weren't able to make it to that meeting um, and you uh, would like, if you have questions, you want to see where we're at for the year or on different things, I'd be happy to get that information to you. Just catch me after the service. And uh, and I'll get that to you. Uh, the second thing is uh, community groups start back today, so we're excited about that. Community groups are uh, the primary way that we get to know one another and and care for one care for one another within the body of Christ. And so uh, we gather weekly on Sunday afternoons to break bread and, and catch up with each other uh, and pray and, and discuss what we're learning from God's word. But then. Uh, Inevitably, through that, deep friendships are formed uh, there that extend well beyond Sunday afternoons. And so, uh, if you're not yet plugged into a group but you'd like to be, uh, come chat with me or just uh, talk with somebody at the connection desk on your way out. We'd be glad to get you uh, all all hooked up. All right. Okay, that's all I all I have. So we are uh, we're currently teaching through the book of Ephesians, and uh, we're in the home stretch, so to speak. We're in uh, chapter six. And the back half of the book is all practical teaching on how to live life together as individuals, families, and collectively a church that is in Christ. In other words, uh, the first half of the book was all about just the the fundamental truths of the gospel and the back half that we're now in is how to live practically uh, or live out the gospel practically, or as the Apostle Paul says it, how to walk in a manner worthy of our gospel calling. And we're uh, in the middle of a three-part section uh, about some of the most important relationships in our lives. Last week, Pastor Tristan talked about uh, the relationship between husband and wife. This week, we'll talk about the relationship between parents and children, uh, and then next week we'll talk about our relationship to those uh, that we work for or who work for us. And really, um, there's, there's one thread that, that weaves all of these relationships together in this section of Scripture, and it's something that um, we, we might tend to, to wince at inwardly a little bit when we hear it. It's the idea of submission. Okay, It's the concept of submission. I'll never forget, uh, years ago, I was asked to officiate a wedding uh, for a supposedly Christian couple, and as we were <clears throat> discussing what they had in mind for the layout of the ceremony, the bride said, well, whatever you do, make sure you don't put anything in there about me having to submit. I thought, <laughs> uh-oh. You know, <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, I did not have the opportunity to teach her uh, in long form why that was problematic, but my My hope for you and for us as a church is that as we move through these three relationships where the Lord uh, tells us that submission is key, that we'll come out on the other side rejoicing in this God-given principle, not resenting or rejecting it. So with that, let's read our text, and then we'll pray, and we will talk through it. I I, first of all want to jump back to uh, Ephesians 5, verses 20 and 21, where um, we first get this idea of submission. It says, Give thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then jumping ahead to six, it says, Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you once again for this day uh, that you have made for us to uh, rejoice and gather together as the body of Christ. Lord, uh, though we, we love a good uh, sunny day, we thank you for how the rain reminds us of your perfect provision in our lives uh, of just all the things that we need. And, and God, now as we turn back to Ephesians and discuss this, principle of submission, particularly uh, children submitting to parents, Lord, would you help us? Because um, as simple as this sounds, those of us with children know how complicated uh, and challenging it can be. Just like with marriage, Lord, your instructions to us are clear, but our sin tends to make a mess of things. And so if we are to be faithful parents and faithful children, we need your help. Most of all, though, we can, um, we can pray and we can discipline and we can teach God, we're powerless to turn the hearts of our children to you. That is a work of your Holy Spirit that um, only you alone can do. So would you uh, help us to be diligent, but to uh, trust you as the only one who can rescue our kids from themselves and turn them from sinners into saints, sojourners to citizens of your eternal kingdom by your grace alone in the gospel. I pray all this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. All right, well, as we uh, begin this morning, rather than jump right into the topic of parenting, I want to recap something really quick that Tristan faithfully expounded on last week as well because uh, this is foundational to marriage, to parenting, and to any relationship where submission uh, must take place. It's It's the truth that... Christians view the various forms of authority in life as a good and necessary aspect of God's wise order. Okay, we we talked about this a few years back in the book of Colossians, and we said, um, you you know, you you really don't have to look far into our society to see that there is a growing movement fueled in, in large part by people who have. A, a deep-seated issue with authority, right? Whether um, the hatred is directed, you know, at, at the president or at the police, or you know, just more generally at the patriarchy, you know, or, or whatever. There, there seem to be more and more people who believe the tenets. Of, like, critical theory, right? Where um, that would say that authority structures tend to be like intrinsically evil and oppressive. Um, And while it is true that there have been many examples we could point to in history where those in power have abused their authority, the, the two pronged point I want to make up front is simply that. While our society is you know, increasingly uh, growing to have problems with authority, number one, the, the reality of authority is one that cannot go away. It can, you can't erase authority. right? You can try to change who, who holds it, but you can't get rid of it. It's, it's hardwired into the structure of creation because relationships must have it in order to uh, function as they're meant to. And, and number two, it comes on the back of that, God's design is for this to be a good thing that leads to human flourishing. As Christians, um, we do not deny that authority can be and is occasionally misused. Uh, we just don't think that the problem is authority itself. The problem is the sinful people who misuse their positions of authority for selfish motivations, okay? Um, But when authority is held by people who understand that no matter who or how many people they may be in charge of or or over, that, that all people are ultimately under the authority of Christ and will be held accountable for how they used their authority... This is a good thing. This is a good thing. For example, if government sees itself rightly as divinely sanctioned for the protection of its citizens, a nation rejoices, right? If pastors lead and shepherd in a godly manner as they care for and teach people, a church rejoices, right? If a CEO concerns himself more with the development and the well-being of his employees than his bottom line, a company rejoices, right? This is the wise order that God intended to exist regarding authority in human relationships, that it wouldn't be lorded over those in our charge, as it were, as Jesus teaches us, right? But that we would use it to serve one another, and, and when, as a result, relationships function with respect for biblical authority, it is a great reflection of the wisdom of God to the world. As Tristan preached last week, when husbands having authority use it to sacrificially love their wives and wives knowing uh, that they are under authority don't rail against it, but they humbly respect and submit to their husbands out of reverence for Christ— This is a powerful display, Tristan said. This is a powerful display of God's redemption in his people. Okay. And so now, with that established, I can say too that parenting as an extension of marriage has a similarly beautiful and submissive dynamic to it that we see in the scriptures. Now, just one more disclaimer before we get into that, regarding this relationship between uh, children and parents. This topic, like marriage, <laughs> could be its own series of sermons because it is such a big and important undertaking that lasts you know, at least 18 years, usually longer if you're doing it right. Um, and so uh, if, you, if you come away from this sermon desiring to go deeper, I would be more than happy to recommend some great resources to you For that purpose. That said, in preparation for this message, um, I I had to make a choice about how I would come at our text. And due to the largest percentage of our body being uh, parents of younger children between infancy and and adolescence, that's going to be my main focus today, okay? Um, To those with adult children, I understand that comes with its own set of complexities. Um, But my hope is that as we discuss some of these things, much of it will remain helpful and edifying, okay? Well, let me give you um, the big idea first. Based on Ephesians 6, as well as several other passages that pertain to this topic, the primary objective of biblical parenting is to progressively lead children into a relationship of glad submission To their heavenly father. Okay. Um, If if you're a parent, that's your role. That's that's your role. Um, It's not easy, but it is simple. Lead your children into a relationship of glad submission to their heavenly father. This is why God has given uh, your children to you and given you To your children. I often joke that one of the uh, biblical commands uh, this church obeys the best is to be fruitful and multiply. uh, Because one third of the people in attendance, as Dallas was saying earlier, one third of the people in attendance on Sunday mornings are children, okay? Um, Shameless plug, we would seriously love for you to join us uh, in our kids' ministry, serving even just once a month. And I won't rehash all that because Dallas did a phenomenal job. But in in all seriousness, the command to multiply is not simply about making babies. Okay. While it does include that, and this church seems to be good at that, okay, our our making of babies is actually about making disciples. It's about making disciples. If if we make a bunch of babies, but we don't strive to lead them to worship Jesus and be reconciled to their heavenly father, then we've only done the less important half of that command that even non-believers can do, okay? So you see, uh, the task of parenting at the most basic level is actually just discipleship. Parenting is discipleship. As believers, we are to view our our kids as our primary disciples. If you've ever thought about this before and and tried your hand at it, then you know it's it's kind of a double-edged sword, isn't it? On one hand, your kids are a captive audience. (laughs) They live in your house. (laughs) They can't ghost you, right? Because... (laughs) You're there 24-7, right? You know where they sleep. Um, (laughs) Discipling adults is a lot harder in that regard. A lot of adults, I've found, if you say, hey, you want to get together for coffee and read the Bible, they do like a Homer Simpson thing, and the bush is like... (laughs) like, like. (laughs) But but the beauty of discipling our kids is not just that they're easy to track. They are that, hopefully. um, But they actually want... To spend time with us. They want to spend time with us. If I go in my office at home in the mornings and and read and, and close the, the double doors, it's just a matter of minutes before my kids come and they're they're peeking through the crack, you know, you know, or or they're sliding things under the door to me, you know. Um guys, the the Lord has made young children to instinctively love and admire and want to be close to their parents. <laughs> I, I'm speaking especially to dads in the room. Brothers, let us not squander this divine opportunity, this divine stewardship. That little boy or, or that little girl, they, they naturally adore and revere you for a really short time. It's a short window, and then it's, then it's over. You have the opportunity and the privilege to model for them the love of their heavenly Father. Man, that's important. Uh, addressing the difficulties of life we sometimes endure as believers, the author of Hebrews makes this correlation. He says, For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who are trained by it. So you see, parenting is a pass-off. It's a pass-off. We're just trying to get them to him. Okay, and, and on one hand, it's, as we said, it's, it's easier when we have their undivided attention when they're young. But on the other hand, it, it can be more challenging as well because having your children all around you all the time inevitably means that they're gonna see you at your best, sure, but they're also gonna see you at your worst, right? Your kids see the real you, they see the discrepancies between what you preach. And what you practice, that's a hurdle, <laughs> admittedly. Ouch is right. But if we are willing to be humble, then we can use even our embarrassing moments as a parent to teach our, chil- our children about the ongoing need that we all have for forgiveness and for God's grace. Okay, um, But anyway, that's, that's the big idea this morning. Okay? Biblical parenting is about progressively leading our children into a relationship of glad submission to their heavenly Father. So if, if we're just having kids and we're not training them up, then we might technically be parents, but we're not fulfilling our duty as distinctly Christian parents. Our, our text, if you notice, it contrasts training our children on one hand with provoking our children to anger, on the other hand. I think the reason for this is pretty clear, right? Uh, Because as we've established, children are wired to look to their parents for guidance when we don't give clear guidance or we give inconsistent guidance or we give no guidance at all. But then we turn around and we want to punish our children, our kids for doing wrong, even though we never gave them clear guidance, even as adults, we can understand why that's frustrating, right? Perhaps you've had a boss like that before, okay? That's frustrating. No one appreciates getting reprimanded for rules they didn't know existed, okay? So we are to be intentionally training or bringing up our children. But, but that's not all, right? There's, there's another critical piece. We are to be training them... Our text says, in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Okay, so even if we are training our kids up to submit to us, but not ultimately pointing them to their heavenly father, then we may wind up with well-behaved kids who grow up to be well-adapted, competent adults, but who don't believe the gospel. What a sad thing that would be, wouldn't it? for our sons and daughters to become doctors or lawyers and professional athletes or police officers and soldiers and do all kinds of great things, but to not know Jesus because of our lack of diligence to disciple them. Before you object, I know, (laughs) I know we're not able to make our kids follow Jesus. Okay, Uh, ultimately, new birth is the holy spirit 's work not ours, and and sadly, some of our kids may decide not to follow christ, and it, it won 't be because of our lack of faithful effort, but my, my point is this: many of our children will follow Jesus if we will simply lead them to him okay and so what a shame it would be to shirk off that amazing responsibility that we 've been given. so I want to run through four ways. Uh, that we do this, four ways that we lead children into a relationship of glad submission to their Heavenly Father. These are, uh, these are in an intentional order, okay? And I, as I hope you'll see, doing them in that the, that the, the order that they're in is very beneficial. <clears throat> but the reality is, uh, it's not always cut and dry, okay? There can be some overlap or some need for correction as we go. But the, the first stage of parenting with young kids is discipline, discipline. That is, how to obey loving authority. How to obey loving authority. Here's here's the truth. If you have kids, you know. They come out as little rebels, don't they? (laughs) They come out as little rebels. Children, the scriptures tell us, are born into sin. And if that sounds mean, listen, I love kids, but just have a few yourself and then come talk to me afterward, okay? Okay. (laughs) <laughs> yes, there there is a a precious degree of innocence in young children, but as soon as they learn to talk, they Hello? learn they <laughs> Yes, they, they learn the word no and they determine to use it frequently. Right? <laughs> Some of us struggle to say no to things. Our kids don't seem to have that that struggle. Um, also I have never reared back and hit anyone in anger, especially not my kids. And yet, having had four kids, that move seems to come as like a default, okay? (laughs) Particularly when they're not getting what they want uh, when they want it. My point is since the fall in Genesis chapter 3, where our first parents, Adam and Eve, disobeyed God for the first time, there has not ever been a child, with the exception of Jesus, who didn't have to be taught to obey disobeying is the norm okay selfishness manipulation lying etc all these capabilities come standard okay and as christian parents it's our job to break the cycle Okay, it's our job to break the cycle. And um, this is not original to me. Uh, many biblical parenting experts will tell you that your main goal between the ages of one and five is to teach your children that to obey loving authority is right. Okay, That's, that's your main goal. Teach them that to obey loving authority is right. Our kids need to understand that they are not autonomous or sovereign but that actually all people are under God's authority and that God has given parents as his representatives to be in authority over children okay and because that's right but but not just because it's right but also because as Paul references in the 6th commandment he references Um, The sixth commandment, children need to be taught to obey their parents because their parents love them and actually have their best interest at heart, right? That it may go well with you in the land. That's what he's referencing there, that we should teach our kids not just to obey because it's right, but because we love them. We want what's best for them. Um, When he was three, our son Abel got into a habit of climbing up into our kitchen chairs. Uh, He would stand up, and he would grab the, the seat back, And he would sway back and forth. And he thought that was just so fun, which obviously is an incredibly dangerous activity um, for anyone, especially a a toddler. And so we would tell him, Abel, sit down, or you're going to get hurt. Sit down. Um, I don't know how many times we told him that until finally one day he swayed forward and the chair went with him. And um, the thing we said would happen finally happened. He, He flew forward onto the tile. And uh, thankfully, knowing that they would be so rebellious, God also made children to be relatively elastic. And so um, (laughs) so Abel was not badly hurt in that situation. Um, But it did scare him. It did scare him, which we were glad about. Because as Christian parents, we want our kids to understand that we don't just insist on their obedience merely for the sake of our our egos or our convenience. We insist that they obey us because we actually know better than they do what's good for them and, and what's not. And as they get older, we want them to remember that obedience, not only to us, but ultimately to God, is the path of wisdom because no one knows more about what's good for us Than our Heavenly Father. Amen. And this actually leads to the principle of spanking. So um, Proverbs 13, 24 says, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. You see that the Bible teaches that spanking is the way for parents to help their children associate disobedience with negative and painful consequences, okay? Because the reality is that mental and and emotional association is meant to solidify early in life so that children don't have to learn the hard way down the road, okay? Um, This is why Solomon uses such strong language that to not spank your children as a means of discipline is actually a form of of hatred because you're setting them up for something much more painful later in life when they inevitably refuse to obey other authorities that they need to obey, right? So this is the, the first big thing that Christian parents are to impart to their kids, obedience to loving authority. And we do that with discipline. And honestly, this can be... This can be really tough as a parent, especially um, when you have a particularly, you know, maybe strong-willed kid. That old saying, you know, spanking hurts me more than it hurts you. Um, in my experience, that has been true. Okay, um, but but parents, we we must win this battle with our kids early on. Not not because we want to hurt them, no, goodness no, but because we so desire to help them. We desire to help them. Spanking is meant to be a means of grace to our kids, actually, okay? Because if our children don't learn that they are under authority before the age of five, it becomes exponentially harder to teach that to them. It becomes more complicated to teach that to them when they're older, okay? So that's number one, discipline, how to obey loving authority. Here's number two. Teaching, teaching, how to think biblically, how to think biblically. So um, ideally, once we have, and I understand I'm, I'm painting in broad strokes here, okay? So there's, there's, there's a lot that goes on in all, in, in all this, okay? But um, ideally, once we've gotten the obedience thing uh, more or less settled, I'm not implying that your kids are perfectly obedient after the age of five, mine are, are not, Okay. Um, But as our kids are, are growing and developing past simple understanding of right and wrong, good and bad, into more complex thinking and reasoning, we are to begin imparting to them a Christian worldview. Okay, A Christian worldview. Deuteronomy 6 says this, Hear, O Israel, The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. These verses were known to the Old Testament saints uh, as the Shema. Okay? And they would, they would use them to basically catechize uh, their children. Catechism um, is a traditional form of discipleship that involves um, the, the repetition of certain core truths over and over in order to get them ingrained into the heart and mind so that they're just second nature. Okay? And, and then, while, while maybe at first you know, they, they didn't fully grasp all of the implications of loving God, with all your heart, soul, and might. Anybody got all the implications of that worked out? Anyway, <laughs> uh, but, but anyway, um, as, as children would grow older, these verses would come to serve as kind of this, this mental framework for parents to talk through the different aspects of a godly life with their kids from day to day. Uh, and this is exactly what we are called to do. Okay, this is exactly what we're called to do, to read the Bible with our kids from a young age to constantly be helping them to know and grasp the message of the gospel and who Jesus is and why we need him to save us from our sin, right? To do our best to answer their spiritual questions. Um, If you have kids who can talk, then you know those little jokers can come up with some theological brain busters, right? (laughs) Sometimes you're like, let me get back to you on that, (laughs) Let me go consult with Wayne Grudem or something, you know, before, <laughs> before I answer you. Um, but anyway, in, in the carpool line, at the dinner table, before bed, as we're coming, as we're going, and so on and so forth, we are to teach our kids how to think biblically. How to think biblically. Now, a, a few things for us that have been big supports for thinking biblically are, number one, um, church involvement, obviously, okay? Um, Statistically speaking, parents that prioritize church uh, and attending church faithfully have a higher chance of seeing their kids do the same. Um, Not surprisingly, parents who miss church to sleep in or for sports tournaments or to go to the beach because it's a really beautiful day or whatever, they they, send, they see, uh, tend to see a higher drop off with their kids from from church because, as we said earlier, our kids are with us all the time, and regardless of what we say, they're going to emulate what we do. Okay. Another thing <clears throat> is working to have a healthy marriage, kids see how a husband loves and serves his wife or not, okay? Um, Kids see how a wife submits to her husband's leadership or not, okay? And just like we read last week in Ephesians chapter 5, your marriage, if it is uh, generally healthy, it becomes a compelling portrait of the gospel for your kids. Even in the imperfections and the Disagreements. kids see how their parents continue to love, forgive, and stay committed to one another through decades, right? Because of Jesus. That's, that's an impactful thing. Um, but the third thing is, um, I'm also a big advocate of having, if you're able to, multiple kids because um, here's the thing about siblings. They tend to stir up and purge one another's sin, okay? <laughs> you're like, why is that good? Um, <clears throat> well, uh, it's complicated. Okay, this, this gives us innumerable opportunities to be having discussions with our kids about loving one another, what that looks like, repenting when we're wrong, forgiving when we have been wronged, and, and so forth. And listen, I, I am not saying this is easy because it's not. Some days um, it makes you want to pull your hair out. Um, That may tell you something about me. I don't know, but uh, (laughs) uh, I do think it's good for kids to know early on that they are far from perfect, and their siblings are helpful. Reminding them of that, okay? Um, The fourth thing, the last thing I'll mention here is that um, we we do let all of our kids play sports. Yes, because uh, physical activity is healthy, but also because uh, it gives us the opportunity to tell them they can be professional sports stars when they're older. Yeah. No. Um, <laughs> it, it gives us the opportunity to emphasize to them character over performance. Okay? Character over performance. That is who they are over and above what they can do. Okay? Don't get, me wrong. Don't get me wrong. It's, it's fun to, to watch your kid be good at sports, but um, we, we make it a point to tell our kids that how hard they work, how committed they are, and how they treat their teammates is much more important than if they win or lose. Okay? But winning and losing are also opportunities for teaching. Okay? Um, if they win, we teach them to celebrate but not boast, okay? When they lose, we teach them not to sulk because their identity is not found in their performance in sports. It's found in Christ, right? Okay, I could say a lot more in this category, but I'll just end with this. Um, Someone is going to indoctrinate your kids. Do you know that? (laughs) you haven't thought about that, it's true. Someone is going to indoctrinate your kids. That someone should be you. Okay, It should be you. And you should be doing it with the truth. I know that that word indoctrinate typically has a negative connotation in today's world. But friends, the Lord has made the child's heart and mind to be very moldable at a young age. That's on purpose, okay? That's on purpose. They say that you know, by the age of 12 or 13, the worldview of a child is more or less set. It's like the concrete starts to dry at that point, okay? It's, they're they're kind of set for the rest of their life. And so um, after the, the primary task of teaching our kids to obey loving authority, we should be instructing them in the truth of God's word so that when they're older... As Proverbs 22 says, they won't depart from it, okay? Um, church, I, I don't think this is anything that you are unaware of. But our world, it seems to be getting crazier and crazier. There, um, maybe not, it's, it's always been crazy, okay? But, um, but particularly in our culture, there is a war on objective truth, okay? There's a war on objective truth, if you want to know why I think that is, it's because God is the author of objective truth, okay? And, and we're now at the point where our culture is not only trying to erode the importance of the nuclear family, but erode things like gender roles and biological sex. And I'm not fear-mongering when I tell you the main target of these kinds of secular ideologies is children. It's children, They're the primary target because children are vulnerable and they are susceptible. And so we must be diligently and proactively teaching our children how to think, okay? Secular minds out there, you know, sorry, Bill Nye the science guy. Like, they're going to tell you, don't indoctrinate your kids, you know, let them figure it out themselves. No. Sorry, Bill Nye, okay? Like, we're gonna follow the Bible, okay? Love your show. Don't need parenting advice from you, okay? Um, sorry, I don't know where that came from. Anyway, to the notes. <laughs> after teaching, we move or after teaching, we move into number three, which in your notes I've called coaching. Okay. Um, it's it's not that teaching stops at the age of 12, it's just that at that point, adolescence begins. And the degree of freedom that our kids have tends to increase. And they are going to have to begin making more decisions for themselves. And so in coaching, the object of coaching is helping them to grasp how to walk faithfully. How to walk faithfully. It's at this point um, that we want to begin assisting our kids with applying the truths that we've taught them to real life. Okay? Um, Depending on if our kids are are homeschooled or they attend school with other children, this stage could come earlier or later. But the reality is, guys, at some point, we can't keep them in a safe little bubble anymore. Okay, They're going to have to encounter different worldviews, different kinds of people, and they're going to have to encounter the the messiness of navigating things with neighbors or classmates or teammates who, who say or even do things that are inconsistent with their faith. Okay. And our job will be like a coach to help them work and process through those things, but at the end of the day, to allow them to learn how to hold firm to their convictions and how to be in the world, but not of it. okay. Now, trust is huge at this point. Um, I don't just mean us being able to trust our kids, while that's important. I I mean our kids feeling like they can trust us, all right? Um, Being indifferent or detached, as well as being a harsh authoritarian, are not conducive to building trust, okay? Um, If our kids feel like we really don't care what they're going through, um, they're probably not going to tell us about it. Um, if our kids sense that we're going to fly off the handle and into, an, into a lecture at the first sign of anything new or unusual, they likely won't come to us with the things that we really want them to come to us about, right? right. While at the younger ages, kids, you know, they, they want to come to us naturally as they get older. This is just the reality. The opportunity to help them walk faithfully is something that we have to earn, parents. It's something we have to earn. Um, in 1 Samuel 16, it says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees, not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So the goal for parents at the coaching stage is to hopefully and prayerfully have gotten through to their kids at the heart level, Okay so that when it comes to things like opportunities to cheat on a test, right? opportunities to experiment physically with members of the opposite sex, opportunities to partake in alcohol or drugs, opportunities to do all kinds of things. I didn't get saved until I was 21, okay? So um, opportunities to do all kinds of things that are dangerous or illegal or both, that they will remember, this is our goal, that they will remember that they are to live their lives in glad submission, not just to us, but to their heavenly father, okay? And make decisions that are consistent with his heart for them. Because as earthly parents, we're not gonna be there in those moments. We're not gonna be there in those moments, but he always is, okay? He always is. And so you start to see the importance of all the work that we ideally should be putting in on the front end with authority and obedience and teaching, because at some point, we're going to go from being teacher to being coach, and from coach, hopefully, to being friend and, by God's grace, brother or sister in Christ, that's, that's the goal, right? And so the fourth and final stage, just like with any disciple, is sending. Sending. Parents, as hard as this is for some of us to conceive of, at some point it will be time for us to let go and let our children learn how to live responsibly. Okay? Tristan touched on this last week momentarily, but while honoring your father and mother means obedience, in childhood, when adulthood comes, it doesn't mean obedience anymore. Okay. It means honoring, right? Uh, and in fact, if if adult children are still submitted to their earthly parents by way of you know constant obedience, this is actually oftentimes a sign of dysfunction and a lack of necessary development. Right? There, there comes a point usually around 18 or so, where the message of earthly parents should be similar to the words of Joshua to the Israelites at the end of his life in Joshua 24, where he says, Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him with sincerity and faithfulness. Choose this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, right? And so at this point in parenting, obviously um, our kids will always be you know, our kids, right? Uh, we should always do whatever we can to, to counsel them and serve them and encourage them and, and, and help them if we can, right? But at this stage, the best thing we can do is tell them to go. To go and do what Christian adults do. Work hard and earn a living Start your own family, and most importantly, whatever else that you do, live on mission for the glory of God, and live the rest of your your life, the rest of the days of your life in glad submission not to us, not to us, but to your heavenly Father right I could uh, feel like I could cry saying this right now, and so I know I'm going to cry when this time comes for us because I I love my kids, and I'm sure that you love your own kids. But but the truth is, our children are just on loan to us for a little while. And eventually, it'll be time to make the pass-off. Okay, Um, When Graham was like five or six, I was walking out of his bedroom one night after having read the Bible to him, (laughs) and he said, Dad, will we be brothers in heaven And to this day, I have no idea where that question came from, but I just said, yeah, buddy, we will. (laughs) Um, In his book, Shepherding a Child's Heart, Ted Tripp says the parenting task is multifaceted. It involves being a kind authority, shepherding your children to understand themselves and God's world, and keeping the gospel in clear view so your children can internalize the good news and someday live in mutuality with you as people under God, right? So we're, we're back where we started. <laughs> we're back where we started. This is our aim in all of parenting. And this is why the Lord has ordained for children to submit to the loving authority of their parents as they grow and develop so that we can lead them. In the end, not to look to us for everything, but to see us as the ones who faithfully taught them to worship and submit and to look to God for everything. Most specifically and importantly of all, to look to Jesus as the one who lived, died, and rose again for their salvation and their redemption. Right. So as we close, I just want to say that while I, you know, I don't have any adult children and I have, by God's grace, had the opportunity to lead and, and teach all of my children about Jesus from a, from a young age, I, I know that not everyone is in that same boat. I understand that. Some of us became Christians after our kids were older. Or perhaps some of us did all that we knew to do with our kids, but as adults, they, they haven't yet made the, the decision to trust Jesus and submit to their Heavenly Father. Or perhaps you're Um, you know, perhaps you're raising your kids biblically, but you're just going through a particularly difficult and overwhelming season with one or or even all of your kids where you feel like you're giving it your all, but it's just not enough. We've been in seasons like that. And so um, let me just leave you with this final encouragement. There's hope for imperfect parents. There's hope for imperfect parents. God is perfect and he loves our kids more than we ever could. Our job is just to point them to him, okay? So again, I know we've got a ton of different parenting scenarios in this room, but whatever the situation may be with your kids, it's never too late. (laughs) It's never too late to apologize to them if you need to, to tell them that you love them, and to point them to Jesus. Guys, I'm a pastor, and I have to apologize to my kids more than I would like to admit, okay? Because parenting is hard. It's hard. It will test you and try you in ways that nothing else will. And sometimes, I just have to, just like everybody else, (laughs) I have to gather myself, let my kids know again that daddy is a sinner who needs forgiveness and that I love them, right? I have to keep, keep on doing that. <laughs> I have to keep on doing that. And that ultimately, we all need Jesus. And that while sometimes I'm going to fail them as their earthly father, they have a heavenly father who never fails and who will always love and provide for them perfectly. That's who we're supposed to be pointing our kids to. Let's pray. Father, you are a good, good father. And uh, God, we just thank you so much for your grace, for the gospel that has opened our eyes to this reality, God, that you, um, that you are a perfect father, that you make provision for everything that we need, that you have um, given to us everything that's necessary for life and godliness in your word. I pray um, today that Um, This sermon, while honestly it was challenging for me to preach, and I'm sure it's challenging for some people to to think through, Father, I pray that you would empower us. Help us to be um, the parents that you've called us to be. Help us to, to love our kids and to teach them to gladly submit to you. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.